Are we recording? <laughs> oh yeah! It's like <laughs> a year from now. <laughs> Macho. Oh man, that's Vincy. I like that my kids know that I'm healthy and strong and fit, and that their mom is healthy and strong and fit. Going, okay, I can still get better without having to do a max effort every single day. Smashing yourself on the roller for uh, an hour, right? you're good by the next day as long as you had a, a sandwich and a net. All right, in this final installment on the psychobiological model, we'll be covering um, limitations related to this model as we see them. And again, it's not going to be an exhaustive list. And I'm sure if you go searching, you will probably be able to devise um, and think of some other limitations related to this model. But here are some, uh, I guess, some relevant ones for people that are fitness competitors. Uh, the first one we'll cover is related uh, to max effort lifting. Um, and basically maximal effort contractions. Think like front squat, heavy front squats, heavy deadlifts, uh, clean and jerk snatches, uh, real like strict handstand push-ups, deficits, legless rope climbs, uh, that that type of stuff. When you're when you're approaching points in those movements where you're about to fail. Um, so for example, if you're going for a one rep max front squat, you're not sure if you're going to make it or you're going to make it. Uh, you're going for another rep on a deficit handstand push-up and you're not sure if you're going to make it or you're going to make it. How does motivation, uh, perception of effort, previous experience, etc., how does that factor into those things or does it? Yeah, so we were kind of talking about it last week um, before we started recording um, and we were talking about the the idea of you know your your physical limitations and like mike said um if your if your max front squat is 315 um no matter how high your motivation is or what your previous experience is um in an event that has or in training that has a one rep max front squat uh if 315 is your limit you're not gonna you're not gonna front squat 355. that's never gonna happen that's never gonna happen um, now, put it in the context of an event where your motivation is really high. So say like an open event, and we kind of touched on this last week. If that, uh, the result of that open event is a difference between you going to um, then regionals or not. Or sanctionals. Or sanctionals or, or now, right? yeah, exactly. Um, if it's contingent on you going to. Or qualifying for the next stage. Yeah. Yep. Then, um, the motivation to perform well on that event is really high. So for example, take open workout where it was 25 toes of bar, 50 double unders. 16-2? Yeah. And uh, 25 squat toes bar, 50 double unders, and then the increasing load squat clean ladder with the every four minutes. Yeah. So say, you know, you're relatively, f you're, you're a fit competitor, you're on the cusp of qualifying, um, and that event comes up and your max clean and jerk is, or so your max clean is 275 for a guy. And you get to the bar. And that's that fourth bar, which is crucial. Yeah, which was, I think, six reps, something like that. Was uh, it? Four reps? I think it was nine. Nine reps. 275. And so say that's your max, and you get there, and you have lots of time, and your motivation is super high. There's a, there's a possibility you could get through that bar, potentially. Mm -hmm. And you get through that round, and now you have, whatever it was, four minutes to complete the next section, which the bar jumped up to 315. If you get through the toes to bar and the double unders, which you would, you're probably not going to get one clean at 315. <laughs> and no matter how high your motivation is, 
it's not it's just, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And so that's where that, that limitation comes in with regards to, to weightlifting. That's mm-hmm. one example. Yeah, because it's a, it's a, like it's it's a hard limit. You're not going. To, you, there's only you, you can't over like the motivation perception of effort. It only allows you to work to your actual maximal, your own maximum abilities. Right? It doesn't allow you to work above it. You're not a robot. But the part of it is is that um, like in, in in a one rep like a one rep max front squat, if you increase someone's motivation as much as possible prior to them going for the next front squat, like could they get one pound more if they were like really if it's big if that next lift became really 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 important for them yeah they probably could but there's going to be a point where you increase the load that it no longer matters how motivated or how willing you are to exert effort right because it's going to surpass the contractile capacity of the person so that is that is a limit with regards to this uh scenario right but you just turn the other way and you go like Again, you just turn, you just tone down that motivation a bit, and how close are you going to get to your one rep max? Not very. <laughs> you're not going to get very close. You're going to be like, man, this, I really don't want to try very hard right now. I'd rather just kind of mail it in a bit and not really go heavy, because I'm not, I'm, I'm, I, I'm mentally tired. Everything just feels heavier or feels harder in general, and I'm not, I'm not willing to exert that effort. So it works that way, but I don't think it works the other way, where you turn it up and you get more out of it when you're at that maximum. Um, but that's but again that's also why I really like this model is because Marcor is open about that he he he's openly states that it it's it is hard to make sense of that um, and that's and he doesn't say this but this is where it'd be more predictable to just go based on one rep max as to how people are gonna do and give you better insights um, <clears throat> in doing percentages of one rep max like is this person gonna be able to hit this front squat it's like well it's only seventy percent of his max so I'm gonna go with yes mm-hmm. um, versus this is ninety nine percent of this person's max I'm gonna go with I don't know. Um, as opposed to thinking about it in terms of motivation and whatever. That's like the uh, the strength events of of weightlifting, Olympic weightlifting, or even powerlifting. Everyone has a total going in, and, and you rank them by that because you know roughly where they're going to be able to, to perform that day. Uh-huh. You just know because yeah. and if, if it's within a few pounds, you might see some some people do some amazing things for them, but they're not someone who comes in ranked 10th is probably not beating the person ranked first yeah. in a strength event. I remember a great, a great, one of my, one of my favorite, oh no, yeah, it was one of my favorite, but it's one of my most interesting coaching seasons was leading from 2015 going into the 2016 games coaching Albert Dominique LaRouche. I remember um, vividly, like, because <clears throat> uh, I remember that regional that had that snatch ladder, right? So it had 10 reps for the men. It was 10 at 185, then it was 8 at 205, 6 at 225, and then it was 4 at 245 and 2 at 265. I believe that was the the, the reps. And like he um, during the year he he dealt with a back he dealt with back issues for the majority of the of that training year. And so um, I I'm pretty sure he hit 260, 260, 265 maybe once in the past six or eight months leading up to that event. And I think he finished second or third on that event. Like he ran through those bars, and was made it look so easy, right? Now again, what's the difference between not hitting two sixty five in your gym and and just being not motivated to try it, versus competing with Matt Frazier and trying to beat him? Like, that's all that changed. Like even leading into the competition, I remember vividly. Like I was like, man, I don't know if 
I don't know if he's going to be able to qualify again this year. And he just killed it. Like, he just showed up and destroyed it. <clears throat> and that's where I'm just going, like, I can't tell you why that happened, but that guy is a competitor, and he wants to win. And that's my only explanation because he's willing to try as hard as possible to make this happen. And then, therefore, he's willing to experience as much effort as, he, as, he, as his body can tolerate. That's what he's going to do. Um, and that's what I mean in terms of that's that's the other side of this mode, like percept, uh, psychobiological model applied to weightlifting is those scenarios where physiology doesn't cut it and explain those performances. Like, what are you supposed to explain it as? Well, he deloaded the whole year, and that's why he <laughs> he peaked right at the right time. Oh, he just happened to peak. Yeah, my, I, yeah, my training is so good. I I purposely made him miss snatches at two sixty five all year long and underperform only to have him peak on that one perfect uh you know friday morning it's it's magic actually um again that's i'm being very facetious here that's not how it works uh it's because that event was very important to him and, and the important and the the performance on that event was extremely important and so he showed up and got everything out of himself but sometimes that requires maximal motivation you can't just it's not just going to happen because you want it to or because you think it's going to happen or it should happen or you're owed it you have to show up and want it and that's what happened right so that's where i think yeah that's a really interesting case right couldn't do it all year long becomes really important motivation is really high does it interesting okay um <clears throat> some other interesting notes are like when you actually read so in terms of max effort failures and that that application could like we we're talking about the snatch that can apply to any other thing so strict handstand push-ups legless rope climbs that type of thing like no matter how much if if any, anybody who's who does legless rope climbs and or has in the past if you if you're doing those reps and let's say you got to do a set of five in a row at some point or whatever if you go up for your fourth one um, and the last couple pulls are extremely hard there's no amount of you wanting to make the next rep that's going to allow you to do it you're going to fail um, because you're going to run in to an actual limitation in your elbow flexors <laughs> and the ability of you to close that elbow and pull the elbow down uh, it's not going to happen you're not going to climb the rope you're going to fail uh, and that, that's just the reality of it um, and there's and again you can go along with this in all the gymnastics and all these other things um, and it's the same thing with strict handstand push-ups whatever but this same rule applies generally when you see these scenarios and you compare these performances from these same people in scenarios that don't matter and you compare them to scenarios that do matter, they do better. Um, and again, you, you're going to have a really hard time explaining that in terms of physiology only and why that happens. Like, why did the, why was the person able to make the strict handstand push-ups more easily in a competition versus in training? Why were they able to climb the rope 10 times at the competition but couldn't do it twice in training? Why would, like, why? It's, it's not, it's, and this is in the span of three weeks. Like again, it's 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 just you're gonna have a hard time explaining that just through physiology, and like muscle contraction, oxygen utilization, whatever. Any comments on that? It's pretty easy to see when you look at people doing open workouts. Like how many open workouts end in a failed rep of some kind? Yeah. Like almost all of them. They yeah. go for it even like they, they know that one rep matters yeah. and they go for it before they're ready and it's just yeah they fall off the something. One, yeah, the one thing I always the one thing I I fond of telling people right is like. Um, because I feel like the psychobiological model stuff seems a bit hairy fairy to people that 
or when you watch people or to people themselves that are really, really fit, uh, or if you're only measuring people that are really, really fit, <clears throat> uh, it's because to them it looks like, like because these people are generally so motivated, almost as maximally as they're going to be, to allow themselves to experience the highest amount of effort they possibly can, which means their peak potential. It's going to, they're going to run into actual problems and limitations way more frequently than the average Joe is going to run into. When you're talking about just regular movements, burpees, thrusters, whatever, they're going to be much closer to hard limits, and it's going to look like that. It's going to look like they're limited by this, they're limited by that, they're limited by that. Um, and that's just honestly a compliment to them to how hard they're willing to push themselves, to actually push close enough to those boundaries to even experience that. But again, that's not the bulk of humanity, and that's not even close to the bulk of people that train. Um, that that's the situation for. Uh, the, <clears throat> the the one thing I want to mention, um, like when you talk about uh, motivation and perception of effort, and uh, again, previous experience, knowledge of the distance covered, distance remaining, uh, you talk about those things in terms of uh, classical endurance modalities, like again, cycling, swimming, cross country skiing, running. It's it's a lot easier. Um, the the one the one real difference you have here, right, and and how these variables really manifest themselves, is because you can easily adapt the power output in those modalities, right. So when you're running, you can easily slow down uh, from like running 11 kilometers per hour to 10.5. You can easily do that, right. On a rower, you can slow down from rowing like 145 or 500 to 150. If you feel like you're getting overwhelmed, right, and still push forward and still push forward, and it takes a lot of motivation when you're feeling when, at some point in some session, I'm sure, where you're feeling mangled to keep that pace, to keep that pace. Um, the problem is a lot of times in CrossFit, um, this is where people would say, well, it doesn't matter how motivated you are, your perception of effort, you're going to fail that rep, but it's because that rep has a has a set power output associated with it, right? It's not an erg. Right, an erg you can modify the 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 work output to match your willingness to work. In a lot of these modalities, the work output is set for you. So, like if you were to put it on the terms of an erg, so like let's just say you had to row at a one forty five or five hundred meter in the, on the rower. Okay, what you're saying to someone who's not like who has to get off and do five ring muscle ups in a row. Uh, it's like saying you like the only way to keep doing those reps is you have to be able to row extremely fast and it, it's not like you can slow down you can't slow down you have to hit that power output required to make each one of those repetitions there is no lower power output ring muscle up that counts right like you can go slower and still accumulate calories on a rower you can't do a, like a lesser version ring muscle up and still get some form of, <laughs> of repetition so that's where it becomes a little I, I feel like that's where it hides it, it, you can you could use that as a as a way to say well you know it doesn't really make a lot of sense because it didn't matter how motivated this athlete was they weren't going to make the next ring muscle up but I think that's only an argument because of the modalities you're using uh, and the modalities you're using hide the actual answer from you because that modality isn't scalable down so again if you have an athlete who's like I guess a different example would be <clears throat> just imagine you have like an isometric deadlift you could pull right. Uh, the way to think of this would be you have an athlete have to pull on this handle that's locked to the floor and they have to produce 300 pounds of force um, like every every five seconds they got to pull 300 pounds of force 
Um, and it's like, okay, but the way it works in CrossFit, if you don't pull 300 pounds of force in an actual barbell, the bar doesn't come off the ground, so you don't get the rep. But in this scenario, just imagine you just have to pull on a handle and it measures how many pounds you're pulling. The motivated athlete is going to stay close to 300 pounds a lot longer than, than the low-motivated athlete. They're going to pull 299 pounds, 298, 297, 296. And the person who, who is not motivated is going to be down to not pulling really quickly because they're not going to want to try. So that's what I mean by having a set power output on work, on modalities that can kind of skew the actual information underneath the theory because it's just how it's being applied. But it's, it, you need to think of it in the right way because you don't have an opportunity to do it any differently. It's just this is the set output and this is how this works. So this is why it becomes so important to actually know yourself really well to make the most of the performance. Um, does that make sense? Any comments on that? That makes sense. Well, yeah, because the the movements in CrossFit are always above like critical <clears throat> work, always. Yeah, but the ones people will really kind of discuss are like what I'm saying. So, like, there's no amount of motivation you could have for Tom, for example, to walk up and clean that bar 300 pounds like right now instead of waiting five seconds. Like, go do it right now if you're motivated. You're like, well, it's I, I understand what you're saying, but you're applying the you're you're applying you're you're not you're not applying the information in good faith. That's the problem. You're you're creating a caricature of the argument. Because the I the thing is you have to think of a different scenario and go, well what if we took five pounds off the bar? And if you're and I bet you you could go up and do it now, but if you reduce that motivation, that person is not still not going to even hit that bar. Right, um, because you still you do live in live within the reality of your own your own abilities. You do have to work. You do have to rest um, in this sport, and that's how it works. Um, but it, it it makes things really gray, and that's that's where I think people could could, could look at this uh, theory and, and speci specifically specifically with women talking about gymnastics and and like hard gymnastics. You could easily you could easily just hear an argument going like, well, you know, it's got nothing to do with this. Like, it's got everything to do with the fact that I'm not strong enough. You're like, I agree with you. I do agree, but it it's a it's just that we're trying to apply this model to a really odd scenario, and you can't say it doesn't work because your scenario is odd. It's just you have to think of it in a different manner, and I can show you examples of how it would work, like the deadlift example I just gave you. Like, I think that's a very true statement of being like, if you had a, a thing like that, that could then obviously modify the force output that allowed it to go below that actual requirement, you would notice what would happen, right? Those people who are extremely motivated will stay near the actual force requirement a lot longer, even though it wouldn't technically count because they're not at 300, but they'll stay around there and, and lower down a lot slower. It's just that you don't get to see that in CrossFit. So that that's the limit is that there's a certain threshold and... In CrossFit, the, the, it doesn't explain behavior as well once the force required is above a certain threshold. Yeah, once once the contractile intensity goes really high, it, it, that's where you can start saying the theory falls apart. And I still think it holds together really well. Um, I really just think that at max, max, max lifts is where is where you're like, yeah, I, it doesn't really matter as much any, right now. It's more about like how strong you actually are. But there's a lot of room underneath that. I think it's a very small area that it doesn't make a lot of sense of. Um, one of the, like so another thing, uh, another example of these limitations. So when I ran a marathon last year, I ran into a physical limitation of my body breaking down um, because I had never run that distance. And so by the time I got to the forty kilometer mark, I felt like I had like two wooden poles attached to my hips, 
Um, I just, I could barely run. And that, again, that's not, uh, like, <laughs> I wanted to try, um, but my legs just wouldn't do it. They were just, like, I, I, I had accumulated too much damage. Like, my, my neuromuscular system was basically too fatigued to actually do any form of work now. Um, and I remember running across the finish line, and I wasn't, like, I'm, like, I'm not even, like, trying. I know I'm not even tired because I'm going so slow. <laughs> but it hurts a lot. Like, my body hurts. Um, and it's like, there's no, no matter how much I want to try, the only thing I can do is not slow down. I couldn't speed up. Even if I wanted to, I don't think I could have. The only thing I can do is just keep going. So I just had some like, you know, I had to have the motivation to make myself keep going, but I knew my level of effort was low. I'm like, I'm actually not trying because I can't try. Cause it's like, I have an injury. Right. Um, and like I walked, I finished, I ran across the line and just stood there and almost, I stopped running and I almost couldn't walk again. <laughs> so I'm like, that's some weird shit. <laughs> uh, but there's lots of scenarios like that, right? We have some form of an injury um, that, that, that that's actual limitations, right? Like that's not something you can work around. You can't just go, yeah, I just, I fractured my femur, but I'm still going to knock out this squat. <laughs> You're like... Yeah, it doesn't work like that. There are actual limitations, right? And there's different variables that factor into your performance. It's not just motivation, perception of effort. But when you have, when, like when all things being equal and everything is set and things are going well, it almost can come down to those two things. Uh, another example is uh, nutrition, right? So similar to the my marathon example, um, <clears throat> if you like, uh, yeah, so I did, I ran a half marathon a month ago. Um, let's just say it was pretty much it was a it was a it was a, a pace pretty much almost almost up to my what i would consider the critical speed so i probably couldn't run any faster than that without blowing up uh, if i just did something real simple like not eat carbohydrates for a month and then go try to run that pace i likely wouldn't be able to run that pace anymore uh, because that pace will now likely be above the critical speed because of the inefficiency of fat metabolism associated with that so that's another reality right like if I try, I, I can't run 90 minutes above the critical speed. You, you can't do that. It's not going to happen. You're going to be forcibly pushed down because you're going to literally run out of energy in terms of creatine phosphate and whatnot. Um, so that's how nutrition would simply be a hard stop for you going like there's no amount of motivation, uh, perception of effort you can work with and manage to have you achieve that previous best pace now that you're doing keto. It's, it's probably not going to happen no matter what. But it still goes back to the same argument that, okay, well, how fast are you going to run? You don't like, that's where you have to then compare yourself to yourself and go, okay, now I did that stupid thing and I am drinking olive oil all day long. Now, how fast can I run a half marathon? Right? Like this is like, that, that's the question you would have to ask. It's not like carbs are better, fats worse. We know this, but when you're in that own situation, it still comes down to motivation, perception of effort in this new keto adapted state. It still comes down to that. Any comments on that? Do you drink olive oil all day, Jason? Is that what you're laughing about? <laughs> um, okay. And then the the last one, which is a main one, um, is the power duration relationship, which we'd covered in the podcast prior to this. So the power duration relationship, um, again, the concepts of critical power, critical speed, critical torque, and the W prime, outline physical limitations of the human of the human that's that's what it does um, if it's measured appropriately you can measure this in almost any modality uh, it's measured across species like 
in horse <laughs> in crabs and i don't I, I don't know how they get the crabs to do this but like maybe they just like stimulate them as hard as possible for three minutes and they just watch that graph they're like man look at that claw it's like <laughs> but it is it this this the power duration relationship holds across all different species that it's been tested on so it is <laughs> lobsters i'm sure jordan peterson has, has something to do with <laughs> power duration and lobsters I had to listen more closely. <laughs> it's like in the appendix of 12 Rules for Life. <laughs> Setting his references. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. So the power duration relationship outlines actual physical limitations. Um, and that like that's again that's not something you can work around so what i was saying with my with the half marathon or anybody like if you if you know someone's if you know someone's critical power on the rower and let's just say it's 200 watts you and you know what their w prime is and you've measured it which is the finite amount of work they can do above the critical power you can within reason predict how long that person's going to be able to row at paces above the critical power that's almost something you can't work around because you're running out of creatine phosphate, you're increasing inorganic phosphate, you're increasing hydrogen. So you just, the, the, muscles become, the muscles are becoming less and less efficient. And they're gonna be less and less able to match and meet the force requirements, right? So like it's basically like a mathematical model. You can predict these performances. So if you're like, I know you can your critical power is basically 200 watts, I can predict within a good reason how long you're gonna be able to row at 300 watts or 250 or 350. So like what we're getting at here is like that, that model, it can kind of, can outline the capacity of the human. That's a huge limitation because it's not you don't you like you have rules to follow within fitness right there are rules and there are boundaries to follow but the idea with the psychobiological model is that most people are never going to ever experience those boundaries they're never going to get to even push to those limitations and which we agree with is that motivation and perception of effort is what allows people to even remotely touch those things so it still basically is up to you but you do have rules to follow and the power duration relationship almost sets the rules, right? It's kind of like outlines the boundaries of your experiences that are going to be acceptable or going to be even allowable. But the psychobiological model kind of talks about like, okay, well, what experience are you going to actually have? Like, which ones are you going to, like, how far are you going to push yourself? Um, how close are you going to get to your potential in all regards, right? Um, yeah, so that's why we feel like those two things specifically fit together so well because they're like two sides of the same coin in my opinion that's the way i think of them because they work together so well power duration basically explains and can explain why what what happens physiologically to you at certain intensities and the neuromuscular um the, the neuromuscular results of doing that so rowing at this pace versus rowing at that pace the psychobiological model explains your behavior of doing that and explains what you're doing and why you do it. Um, but these two things have to go together, in my opinion. They, they go together really, really well. Um, yeah, any comments on that? Yeah, I just think, simply put, like the power duration relationship creates yeah. like a mathematical upper limitation on what you can achieve, and the psychobiological model 
creates the framework of how close you're going to allow yourself to get to that upper limit. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, like each each one complements each other pretty well. Where the psychobiological model, where it starts to break down, you can start using the power duration relationship to explain the behavior of it, and then also you use the psychobiological model to explain the difference in performance from athlete to athlete, day to day, that doesn't isn't explained by the potentially the uh, power duration relationship because it like there should be no variation if it's the same person <clears throat> exactly except there is exactly right uh, but even with that like the the pat like the the critical power speed torque they will vary day to day just based on fluctuations but um, but that we're, this is we're only taught like it's only it's only really this close of a discussion when you talk about frameworks in which you can measure and predict so you're talking about rowing running this type of stuff so let's just say, okay, let's just say that, um, and I heard who, who, I can't remember who I heard say this. They're like, the way to explain, sometimes the way to explain the psychobiological model to someone is, okay, imagine, imagine like you had someone go on, you, you had, you trained your body to go run a marathon and you program it, programmed it to go run. Would you run faster if it was programmed to run at a certain pace or your head was actually on your body? You're like, if you just let your body be the machine and do as much as it possibly could, it's probably going to beat you the person because it's going to actually work to its actual maximum. And you're not going to do that um, because you're a conscious being and you're aware of what's happening. So to treat it like it's just like a computer program is the thing is though, it, a lot of the studies are really close when they do this work, rest, work, rest. And they have these predictions on people. Um, their predictions on how long people are going to go at certain paces are really close once they measure it appropriately. Like it's, it's, it's actually absurdly close in a lot of cases where they tell people like they're going to finish in about this time and they finish within this plus or minus. But the thing is, it's this plus or minus. It's, and a lot of times it's a gigantic plus or minus. And in CrossFit, it's an unknown plus or minus. You have no idea where the limits are and what they are. Okay. And that's where I think, so if power, so let's just say, you know, a hundred years from now, I'm still alive. I'm in my head's in like some glass of water and I'm still talking about power duration. Um, <laughs> and they figured out how to measure like all of this stuff and all these movements. Um, the problem you have, right, is like right now you, you, you don't know what these limitations are, where, like where that fine line is or how far above that, that critical torque, critical power, critical speed you are doing thrusters, 95 pounds, or 65 pounds. You don't know how far above it you are. All you have is your feeling of how you're doing and how hard you're working. So the problem is there is you don't even know what the limitations are right you, you just don't so in in a system like this we're we're like assuming eventually we'll get smarter and figure out how to measure this more appropriately um all you have really to go on is your own sense of effort and your previous experience in what's happened and knowing yourself and knowing what feelings are like and trying to predict and what's going to happen in the future right and like how, how what am i going to feel like on the 10th climb what am i going to feel like in this because you're working in such chaos um, that the power duration relationship becomes like it's an important thing to understand and know um, and it helps you it, it can help explain someone's behavior in terms of why they slow why they're why they're getting slower now or why they're having to take longer breaks but it, it's it's not going to be good enough because you're working in a system that's that's so unknown right so all the person has all you have is that one individual trying to understand what they're doing and trying to feel it out and trying to make sense of what's good and what's not good 
and what's an okay pace and what's not an okay pace. And it'd be really, it'd be too easy to talk yourself into slowing down. It's just too easy to do that in CrossFit because you're like, man, this feels really hard. <laughs> you're like, yeah, it does. Um, and yeah, that's what I, that's what I always think about when you try to, when they, when they use the power duration relationship, they make really good predictions on, um, like knee extensions, bicep curls, isometric holds, like absurdly good, ex- uh, predictions, um, rowing, biking, cycling, swimming, running, all kinds of stuff. Um, but when you start mixing modalities, it just, it, it definitely gets challenging. Right. And it's not that it doesn't apply anymore. It's just, it's just that it's not going to be predictive anymore. That's really the way I would think of it. Yeah. I still think it does a pretty good job of predicting. Which does? the Both of these models, when you lay them on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Because you go into that... that um, I think, I, like I said, I think of them like two lenses. You're laying on top of the one scene. that you're go- Then you're going to actually see the scene correctly. Yeah. If does. you just look at one, if you just only have like the psychobiological lens and you're looking at stuff, like you, you can't understand why... Well, why can't he just roll a little bit longer at 250 watts? You're like, well, because like he's using up the finite work capacity he has above the the w, the the critical power. Like that's why it's happening. And you would go, oh, well, why did this person stop way sooner? And you're like, hmm, I don't know. That doesn't make a lot of sense. They shouldn't have. Um, so that's what I mean. Like when you lay both of these lenses over that same scene, it's things start making a lot more sense. Clarifies Sorry, Jason. A lot of those questions, right? Well, yeah, we use that example of someone wanting to do a ring muscle-up, but it's far beyond beyond their their ability ability at that point. But then you go into the, well, they will again be able to do another ring muscle-up. They just have to change the duty cycle of that. And it's like, like, oh, yeah, obviously. Mm -hmm. But they, no matter how motivated they are, if they've already spent the W prime above the critical torque doing ring like, muscle ups then it's like and their oh, triceps are dust yeah. or like whatever. well i really want to get uh this next one doesn't matter how yeah. much you want to but if you're aware of it as an athlete of being like i need to rest five extra seconds and mm-hmm. then i can go again like that's just changing the duty cycle and mm-hmm. if you like you said if you lay both of them over top of each other you're like oh yeah that makes complete and total sense of what is happening mm-hmm. the smart athlete knows even if they really want to they need five, ten extra seconds, and then they can do it again. Mm-hmm. It's like that's the it, it just predicts the behavior extremely well. Mm-hmm. It does. It, it it really does, especially once, you, especially from the power duration side of it. Once you add the psychological aspects to it, it, pre- it can really predict the behavior well. Because the criteria with even getting a good uh, critical power test. And usually the critical power tests we've mentioned here are the three-minute all-out tests, which are like, again, step on a biker or a rower or a skier. We don't know actually, actually know if the skier or the rower are exact, but the bike is what's been tested. And not even a biker. It's been a, a stationary monarch bike, I believe. <clears throat> anyway, and you get on the bike and you go as absolutely hard as you possibly can go for three minutes. And you have to go as hard as you can every second for the three minutes. You can't lag and pace. It has to be maximum effort. Um and what that tells you is that the the end test pace, so basically from two minutes to three minutes, two two thirty to three minutes, is where they would average your pace, and um, that's what they would assume is your critical power. And then the work done above that pace for the three minutes prior is what they would assume is your W prime. But that test is contingent, and you can listen to the author uh, and the people who designed this test, Mark Burnley. He's very clear about this when he when you interview him. Uh, I haven't interviewed him. I've listened to many with him. Um, it's just, it's very contingent. He's 
and he makes it extremely clear that if it is not, if it is not an absolute maximum effort, the test is invalid. Right? It's invalid because he knows the only way to get maximum maximum effort, or sorry, the only way to get an actual true performance out of the person is to have them try as hard as they can possibly try and be as motivated as possible throughout the entire event because these two things are connected together like intimately and that's what he's getting at right like even he knows it and like he obviously knows it. he's a smart guy but he doesn't talk about uh, motivation or perception of effort at all but he understands that without the without without having the athlete being in that state you're not going to get a good test out of them and it's not and what it's going to do it's going to overestimate the critical power and it's going to underestimate the w prime so whatever um but uh, yeah, I don't know what I was talking about there. But that's how they usually test the critical power, critical speed, um, and motivation is max is required to even get a decent test out of that. Right? That's how that works. You can't you can't be somewhat motivated and get a good test because you know exactly what's going to happen. Like just think, I want you to get on the echo bike and go as hard as you possibly can for three minutes. And you're like, yeah, sure. I'm like, no, nah, I don't think you heard me. Um, I mean, you you need to sprint from the very start and keep sprinting. You're like, okay, yeah. So that means when you're throwing up and the fan is throwing your puke back on you, you have to keep sprinting. <laughs> like you have to go maximum, 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 even as you know you're imploding. You have to do this. You have to. Uh, and that's how you get a good test. That sounds miserable. And the only way you're going to get a good test out of that is with through maximum motivation. But you are going to slow down and there's no way about it. There's no, there's no way around it. You're going to slow down. It's going to happen. Right, so that's where I mean you have these two worlds colliding, and they're coming together quite beautifully. Thanks for tuning in. If you like the episode and know someone else that will, please share it with them, as it helps to grow our reach. If you haven't done so already, please leave us a review wherever you listen. For questions about topics covered on the show or topics we haven't covered yet, send those questions to spiraloutpodcast at gmail.com. We do read the emails and have some topics that were submitted by listeners and we plan to cover them in the near future. You can follow at optimum underscore performance underscore training on Instagram to find out when new episodes are available. And last but not least, if you guys are in Calgary, come by and check out the gym. We offer individual design as well as personal training for those close by. If you live far, head over to optimumperformancecalgary.com to get information on remote coaching and athlete camps. Catch you guys in two weeks.